I am a, I, I'm a movie lover. I don't know if you know that about me, um, but I, I love movies. I actually, uh, now it's not like chick flicks are my absolute favorite. I don't like just default to chick flicks, but I, I really do like a good chick flick. It, I'll, I'll throw it in with Die Hard or whatever else that I love. Uh, Gladiator, those are a couple of my favorite movies. Uh, but I really don't mind a good chick flick too. And I'll sit there and I'll watch the whole thing with my wife. One of my guilty pleasures is the, the period dramas. <laughs> I, hate, I hate that I said that up here. Um, <laughs> I really, I don't know why, but those, uh, those like, like Downton Abbey or something set a long time ago, uh, uh, I really get into those. But what, what really gets me in the chick flicks is, is the love scenes. If there's something sad that happens in a movie, I don't, usually, I don't usually tear up or anything. I'm like, all right, it's sad. If there's some like huge instance of love, somebody sacrificing themselves for someone else or, or someone just declaring their love to someone else, it, it'll actually make me well up. It's probably not a big surprise. You guys all know me enough to know, yeah, this is no surprise, Joe. We know that that's you. Uh, anyways, I, I love a good love story, and, and it usually does bring me a tear to my eye um, when, I, when I watch some of those. In fact, I'll probably, uh, I'll be like sitting on my half of the bed, and Leanne's like over there, and I'm like, <laughs> it's, it's really pretty funny. I really try not to let on that, that this is happening, but she knows me too well. Uh, anyway, anyways, I, here, here's what impresses me about the book of Hosea. It's, it's just God's great love. And, and thinking about that love and how, the, how we have access to that love and how we can see that love portrayed in this story, it really does just bring a tear to my eye. And uh, if this was ever made into a movie, it would probably be rated pretty bad. Like we, we couldn't go see that movie because uh, Hosea is pretty, uh, pretty much a risque uh, book. But if, if my wife said, go ahead, you could watch the book of Hosea on film, I'd be like, okay, I guarantee you I would cry at some point when Hosea goes and redeems his wife and they have this amazing moment and, and they could make it really cool, uh, but she wouldn't let me watch that. It's just, it's, it's got to be NC-17 uh, rating there, not even R. This is past R. Uh, so we're going to get into to the book that's probably rated pretty, uh, pretty high. <laughs> uh, the book of Hosea. I love, uh, I really do love this book. It's been a joy for me just to kind of dive into it. Um, I've given a lot of backstory the last two weeks and, and I'm not going to review every single thing that I said. I'll give a general review for those of you who weren't here. Um, uh, but, but we're really going to just dive into chapter three. But before we even get there, I, I want you guys to think about this every single year, right here in our own backyard on December 10th, 11th, and 12th, a fiesta and a pilgrimage here in Las Cruces is held in honor of the Lady of Guadalupe. Have you ever heard of her? Yeah. Raise your hand. That's good. Two, three of you. Four. There you go. We got, we got more. All right. She is the patron saint of the village of Tortugas. You guys know where Tortugas is, right there off of uh, Maine or Stern, no matter, uh, just depends on what street uh, you're on there. Uh, and this is a religious fiesta that celebrates the apparitions of Mary to the Indian uh, San Juan Diego, which he has actually a, a, an Indian name. And that name was so long, I wasn't even going to try to pronounce it, but they changed his name and now he's uh, St. Juan Diego. So, so let me kind of explain kind of exactly what happened. Now, when you have 
a virgin or a lady of something, uh, what has usually happened is someone claims that they have had an apparition, that, that Mary has appeared to them. All right, and in honor of that occasion, uh, a lot of the times there's maybe a shrine built or something like that in this place. This happened in Argentina. Uh, we had uh, La Virgen de la Montaña, um, which is the Virgin of the Mountain. And uh, at, f- at first we didn't know exactly what was going on. And we're like, there's a, there's a virgin on top of a mountain? Why? And like, we, weren't, we, were, we didn't get that it was like a statue <laughs> and it was of Mary. Uh, so Mary then is said to have appeared to Juan Diego, all right? So I'm going to give you a little of this story, but this is what we celebrate. Sorry, this is what Las Cruces celebrates uh, every December for about three days. So here's a little... Um, a little background. Uh, this whole festival is a time of thanksgiving and worship for many. Now, those aren't my words. That was actually taken from an article in Sun News that I was able to find because I was just kind of doing a little research on her. Uh, this is an, a, a ceremony, a fiesta to worship, all right, the Virgin Mary who appeared to Juan Diego. So here's a little history of the Virgin of Guadalupe. In the mid-1500s, In what is now Mexico City, Juan Diego was an Aztec Indian, they think, and he was converted to Catholicism at the age of 50 with his wife. And according to tradition, in 1531, on December 9th, the Virgin Mary appeared to Juan on Tepeyac Hill in modern-day Mexico City. All right, so he's, he's going around in the 1500s, all right, 1531. He's walking on this hill, and all of a sudden, from, uh, from what we know of his story and what he has said, uh, the Virgin Mary appears to him on that mountain, all right? And the Virgin Mary tells him something that he is to do. He is to go, and he's to tell the bishop of the town that, uh, to, to erect a shrine on top of that mountain. And so uh, Juan Diego goes and he talks to uh, the bishop and the bishop doesn't believe that he's had an apparition, that he's seen Mary and Mary has told him this. So uh, he doesn't act at all. And so a couple days later, the virgin appears to him again. And because the bishop didn't believe Juan's story, Mary gives uh, Juan Diego roses in the middle of winter to show the bishop uh, that this story is true, all right? So he comes down with these beautiful roses and he goes and he goes to the bishop and as he has all of these roses that he's gathered, uh, that Mary has, has brought him, he, he goes and he shows, he, he wants to open up his robe to see, uh, so, so that he can see all of these roses. And as he opens up his robe, all the roses spill out and uh, I guess on the inside of Juan's robe, he had a picture of Mary, and uh, it was taken as this is a sign from Mary, this is what we're going to do. And so, uh, interestingly, the rest is history. Now, she is worshipped, okay? Mary is worshipped because, and in, in Mexico, obviously, the, Our Lady of Guadalupe is what they call her, um, She's worshipped for her apparitions to Juan. Another thing that's interesting is that Juan is now also worshipped. He's been given sainthood, and he is uh, a saint, and many miracles are attributed to him. That, my friends, is idolatry. 
In fact, if you just get on your phones or on your computers, uh, you can search uh, a Virgin of Guadalupe. Uh, you can search a, a photo of her or a statue of her, and you'll find tons of idols in, uh, to commemorate her and, and who she was. If you do the same thing with San Juan Diego, uh, you will see the exact same thing. You'll see that there, there are images of him. That's what, uh, that's what we call him in, in, <laughs> in Spanish, images, idols of him. Uh, and uh, it's, it's a horribly, horribly sad thing to think that these people have, have grabbed on to these things and now they're worshiping them. And, and, and Juan Diego, who was just a guy, is now uh, a saint and people are praying to him uh, and things like that. It's pretty interesting in, if you look at uh, the idol of Juan Diego in almost all of them. He, he basically has his robe open, and you see a picture of Mary there and roses spilling out uh, onto the ground. Um, and it's, uh, it just all goes back to that story. And these are things that people don't know. Now, so when you, in December, see a trail of fire going up uh, the mountain, you're going to have a little more knowledge of what's going on. Now, they're not, they don't usually talk much about Juan Diego uh, on that thing. This is all about the Virgin of Guadalupe, all right? She is so miraculous because she appeared to him, and we're, we're worshiping her uh, because she's the mother of God, and so on and so forth. And so uh, that's idolatry, and that's idolatry in our city. And it's something that we probably gloss over, and something that we probably shouldn't gloss over. It's something that is deep, and it's something that's rooted in culture here in Las Cruces, and it's something that's dark, and it's something that's wrong, and it's against God. It is idol worship. And we talked a little about idol worship last week, and we, we made a really big different differentiation between what actual idol worship is and when we say, like, we've made something an idol, right? Actual idol worship is worshiping a false god in a form of a statue or an idol, all right? When we value something too much, we don't, I don't like using the term idolatry for that kind of stuff. That's maybe not having your priorities straight as, when it comes to the Lord. It's, and I understand when people say, well, we're making an idol of that or this. I understand that. And I, I totally would uh, agree in the concept that this person is putting way too much stock in something that they shouldn't be putting stock in. Uh, but idolatry was the occasion for the writing of the book of Hosea. And so we ended last week uh, with a beautiful picture of God's love for his people. Though Israel had cheated on their God with false gods, he still loved them. And, and we, were, we read in verse 19, and I just want to recap verse 19, because it's absolutely beautiful. With the backdrop of idolatry to the book of, Heise, uh, book of Hosea, Isaiah, I, was, if, I don't know. <laughs> Isaiah is Isaiah and Hosea at the same time. If you want to read them together, you could uh, and call it Isaiah. But uh, <clears throat> what's interesting is when you think about the backdrop of idolatry in the book of Hosea, and then you look at how they have angered the Lord, how they've abandoned him, and how they've done all of this, and God continues to love them. And we see that really clearly in, in chapter 2, verse 19. This is, this is what it says. And I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. So Lord's people had wandered off and the Lord continues 
to love. So I want to give you just a quick review of some of the things that we've talked about this, these last couple of weeks. Hosea's life and his marriage was to serve as a living example of Israel's unfaithfulness in the middle of God's great faithfulness, okay? Hosea was asked to marry a prostitute, and his entire marriage was supposed to communicate to all of the people of Israel that their relationship with God was the same as Hosea's relationship to his wife. They had prostituted themselves. They had left, them, uh, they had left him and gone with another. And Hosea was called to love and be faithful to an unfaithful and wandering adulterous wife. And this, along with God giving him words, would show the people of Israel their sin. God decided, all right, Hosea, I'm going to give you some words to say to my people, but I'm also going to use your life and your marriage to show what I want to communicate uh, to these people. The first week we began to look at the book of Hosea, uh, we saw that the Lord called him to marry the prostitute. And last week we looked at the many parallels between that marriage and God's relationship to his people. And tonight, what we're going to do is we're going to look a little bit deeper into Hosea's story. We kind of had chapter one of Hosea's uh, story in actual chapter one, the very first night uh, that we met. And tonight, we're going to look at chapter three. And what we want to know is what happened in Hosea's life after he married Gomer, all right? So if you weren't here for the last two weeks, Hosea is called to marry the prostitute. They get married. He loves her. They have children, three children. God tells him to name the children uh, some pretty horrible names, like not my people um, and uh, no mercy. And uh, basically what we would say is bloodshed, okay? And so those were, those were to be Hosea's children's names. Uh, now, Hosea loved his wife, all right? I don't want you to think just because God called him to marry a prostitute, he wasn't like going in it begrudgingly and everything else. This was a marriage, all right? And he loved his wife and he loved his children. And so uh, after that, uh, we have what happens in Hosea's life now, and we haven't touched on this uh, at all until uh, today. I want to remind you, uh, last week we talked about the role of a prophet also, and it was to speak God's word to God's people, all right? It wasn't always a foretelling of the future. God, whatever God wanted to communicate to his people, he would use a prophet to do it. We mentioned uh, Israel's great sin of idolatry, okay? This is how they prostituted themselves out um, to other gods. And this is why God is saying, Hosea, I want you to go marry a prostitute because your, your marriage is going to show the people what my relationship with them is like, and I really need them uh, to know this. And so the last thing that I want to recap is just tell you that the theme of this book with the backdrop of idolatry, okay, is God's overflowing constant and unconditional love for his people, all right? So that's where we're going to pick up tonight. So let's turn to uh, chapter three of Hosea. And I want you guys to remember something because Hosea chapter three, it's actually really short, but as we go through this whole chapter, it's going to be talking about Hosea for the first three or four verses, and then it's going to switch, and it's going to be talking about God and Israel. And as we're going through the parts that are talking about Hosea and Gomer, his wife, okay, I want you to remember that that is, that is a, a correlation between God and his people. So as we're reading about Hosea and, uh, and Gomer, I want you to be thinking God and Israel, 
And then when it switches to God and Israel, and we're learning something that God is saying about him and his relationship with his people, I want you to be thinking in reverse. When we read that, I want you to be thinking of Gomer, and I want you to be thinking of Hosea and their relation, okay? So that's kind of, as we get into this, I want you to keep those two thoughts in your, in your mind as we go through this. All right, so here's uh, verse one of Hosea chapter three. And the Lord said to me, go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and they love cakes of raisins. All right. So as you read through this, it may seem like Hosea is called to marry another person, all right? And there's so many different commentators that, that talk about this and, and bring light to this. Uh, there's no reason at all that we should think that Hosea is called to marry another person in, uh, in chapter three, all right? He was called to marry a prostitute, all right, in the first chapter. Now he is called to go and marry an adulteress. Well, who would be an adulteress? A prostitute who he married and entered into a covenant with who left him for another would be an adulteress. And so that's exactly who, uh, who we're talking about. This whole chapter is still about Hosea and still about his marriage uh, with Gomer. So I want you to remember that uh, as we keep going on. There's no reason to assume that this is uh, somebody else. And here's something you need to see. God called Hosea to marry this prostitute. Now, a prostitute, just by definition, would, would be someone of ill repute. Someone who is unworthy of the love of someone. Someone who we would consider a dirty person. So Hosea is called to marry this, this unholy, filthy, undeserving, unworthy woman. All right? A prostitute. Now, we kind of shift gears. And God says, now I want you to go and I want you to marry an adulteress. Now, uh, sorry, go and love an adulteress. And here's the thing about an adulteress. Wouldn't we probably say probably the same things? Unworthy of love, stained by sin, and things like that. Don't forget that Hosea's marriage with Gomer is a parallel between God and his people. God came to his people and he loved an unworthy, filthy people. He started a covenant just like Hosea was called to do to start a covenant with a prostitute, so he was calling Israel to a covenant with him. Unworthy, stained, filthy Israel. And they entered into a covenant with him. And what did they do after they entered into that covenant? They left him. Just like Gomer did to Hosea. So as we get into chapter three, we have to realize something has happened between chapter one and the three babies that they had together and everything else. Something's happened. Hosea's marriage has gone off the rails. Uh, we don't know exactly what happened. We can assume a whole bunch of things, but we're not really going to get to the end of it. But here's the thing. Gomer left Hosea and she went with other men. All right. That's the adultery that she was committing. So God calls him to go and love now an adulteress, just like he is loving the nation of Israel who has committed adultery against him. 
So he says, go again, love a woman who is loved by another man. All right, that's where we get the, uh, she has left him for other men. And she's an adulteress. Even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. So again, we see this parallel. My people have turned from me and they've gone after other gods and it's just the same as what's happened in your marriage, Hosea. And this is why I want you to marry this woman. This is why I want you to go after her now that she's left you. And I want you to find her and I want you to continue loving her because I still continue loving my people even though they're going after other gods and chasing after other gods. So you may, you may be wondering uh, about the, the cakes of raisins there. It says, uh, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though the children of Israel turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. I don't, you probably don't put those things uh, in the same category, right? Like when I was talking about the, uh, the, the Virgin of Guadalupe, all right? Our Lady of Guadalupe here in Las Cruces that we have the thing. You probably don't put her, that idol, okay, in the same category as you do as raisin cakes, do you? I mean, you're not, you're not like, okay, I, I can see that. Idols, raisin cakes, I get that. Okay, so here's the thing about raisin cakes. It's not that raisin cakes are bad. So if you were thinking about going home and baking a nice raisin cake, I don't even, I don't know if anybody does that uh, anymore. Uh, it's not a bad thing. Go ahead and eat all the raisin cakes that you want, all right? What this is talking about is God is saying, you're going after these other gods. And somewhere uh, in the worship of other gods was either an offering of cakes of raisins, or they would eat cakes of raisins during one of the festivals in honor of one of these false gods. Okay, so he's just making a parallel. You're going after these other gods and you're doing things in honor of them, okay? They would actually eat or offer these raisin cakes to other gods. And so uh, there's no reason uh, that we should be afraid of raisin cakes. If you really like raisins, you really like cakes, put them together, you might surprise yourself. Uh, This is verse two. Here's what I love about verse two, and it happened in verse one. Hosea first hears from God, and then God gives an explanation of why he said what he said, and then Hosea obeys, all right? So the very first thing in in chapter three that we see is go again, love a woman who is loved by another man. Verse two, so I brought, so I went and I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer of letith, sorry, lethich of barley. All right, so what he did was he went and he found his wife who had left him, who was with at least one other man, maybe more other men. And uh, he's gone and he's found her and now he buys her back. And now this is the part of the story where I would probably get a little teary-eyed. My wife would be like, are you, are you sniffing over there? And I'll be like, no, I'm, I'm good. I'm all right. Uh, this is a beautiful part of the story. God gives him a simple request and, Ho- and, and Hosea decides that's exactly what I am going to do. You said to do that, so I am going uh, to do it. So Hosea goes and he buys Gomer, his wife, out of her slavery. Now remember, they've had children together. They've had a marriage together. She's left it all and she has definitely ruined the relationship that they had with each other. 
She's committed adultery. It's not going to be an easy thing for Hosea to get through, but he listens to God anyway, and he goes, and he does what God says, and he buys her back. Now, why would he have to buy her back? That's kind of a weird thing, all right? Uh, if, if somebody ever leaves us or something like that, we don't probably not going to have to go and buy them back. Well, the indication here is that somehow she's entered into slavery. Now, there's a whole bunch of possibilities here, and we don't know any of, uh, of them and which are true. We can assume some things, but some people say uh, that she may have been another man's wife. And so Hosea would go to that man and said, I'll pay you f- to have my wife back. Uh, that doesn't really make sense and it doesn't really fit with the culture and people weren't uh, paying for wives and things like that. Uh, another uh, is that she may have been so destitute that she just sold herself into slavery so that she could, so that she could eat and have lodging somewhere. Uh, she could have just been a personal slave of someone, or she could have been a temple prostitute. Uh, all of these things are possible. We really have no idea, but here's what we know. Hosea had to pay somebody to get her back. She was someone's slave in some way, shape, or form. And he had to get her back. And he was willing to do whatever he had to do to get her back. And so he buys her out of slavery. Now, we have this beautiful picture of redemption. And I know you guys want me to get into that so much because it's absolutely beautiful. But we're going to wait till next week till we talk about uh, how we can see Christ in the book of Hosea. And we're going to talk about redemption. And we're going to talk about Hosea redeeming his wife. And it's going to be awesome. Uh, and I can't wait to teach it. And I can't wait to get into it and just see it a little more clearly uh, as well. But just know this, that Hosea went and he redeemed his wife. Uh, one, because he loved her. Two, because God told him to do it. All right, let's go to verse three now. This is verse three. This is Hosea talking to Gomer. And I said to her, now this, we, we're hearing right exactly what he said to her. I said to Gomer, I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man anymore. So I will also be to you. So we have this reconciliation in this marriage. He has gone. He has bought her out of slavery. He brings her back to him and he puts a a condition on their relationship now. Here's the new condition. You're just, you're going to first just, just be with me. Okay, just be here. Don't go and don't go be with other people. I want you here with me. If this is going to work, I want you here uh, with me. And so he reconciles that relationship. He puts a condition on it, though, of her having to be with him. And then their marriage, the, the, the indication is that their marriage will return to what it once was. First, I want you to come and I want you to, to just live here and get used to being with me again. Don't go out and don't give yourself to another. Just be with me. And after this period of time, you and I are going to have our relationship back, but there has to be some trust rebuilt in this. And so that's exactly uh, what he told her. Though she is stained and though she is unworthy, she is accepted by Hosea. Now remember, I told, I told you, if we're reading about Hosea and his wife, I want you to be thinking the entire time of God and Israel. So let me read those three verses real quick. And I want you just to be thinking of God and Israel this whole time. Go again and love a woman, Israel, who is loved by another man, another false God. 
and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to each other. Uh, sorry, they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer of uh, lethic of barley. And I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man. So I will also be to you. It's a beautiful picture of God loving his people. And now we actually switch. The, the whole passage switches right here uh, in verse four. And we start not talking about Hosea anymore. Now we're gonna talk about God and Israel. But as we do that, I want you to remember Hosea and Gomer and their relationship and how it parallels what we're about to read. This is what God says. For the children of Israel shall dwell many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or household gods. What God is saying is, for one, he knows that there's a captivity that is coming, that Assyria is going to storm uh, the northern kingdom and take them into captivity, and they are going to be without everything that they've looked to for so long. They're going to be without their little household gods. They're going to be without the ephod. Now, the ephod goes way back to Moses' time in the tabernacle. Uh, an ephod was, was a garment that the priest would wear, and it, it had some kind of a shoulder pad, and it had a breastplate. And what it had on it was two onyx stones on the shoulders that had six of the names of the tribes of Israel on each one, all right, to make 12. And then on, also on the breastplate, it had 12 uh, different stones with a name of, uh, of each of the tribes of Israel on that. And the priest would go before God. And with this on, he would represent the tribes to God. Uh, and God would recognize that this was uh, on behalf, this priest was entering on behalf of the whole of Israel. All right. Now the ephod also had a problem. Gideon uh, actually, uh, in the story of Gideon, the ephod, this garment that I just talked about was actually worshiped. It was, became an idol and it was not a good thing. All right. And so God is saying here, you're going to be without everything that you've looked to. All your little house, household gods, they're going to be gone. You're not going to have a king, which you always wanted, and you, you put too much stock in them. You're not going to have a prince. Uh, you're not going to have sacrifice. The temple is going to be gone. You're not going to have pillar. You're not going to have the ephod and your household gods. You're, going to have, you're not going to have anything that you've been wanting. And now this also parallels with Hosea's marriage to Gomer. She wasn't going to have anything that she went after for so long. When she left him and she went and did her own thing and committed adultery on him, she now has to live a period of time where that's not the case. And she has to rebuild that relationship with her husband. This is verse five. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. And they shall come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. And so here we have just this total reconciliation. And now it's not just on the part of God. Now the people, listen once again, now the people will return and seek the Lord their God. How does that parallel with Hosea and Gomer? She's going to return and she is going to love and she's going to seek her husband. She's going to be a wife again probably because Hosea showed great love to her. Probably Israel wants to return and seek the Lord because of his great love that he has shown them. And so it's a beautiful, beautiful picture of, uh, of what has happened. Israel's passion will be God 
again. So this is the hope in the story. The story doesn't end with Israel's idolatry. The story doesn't end with them committing adultery. The story ends with God seeking them, with God redeeming them, buying them back out of slavery and saving them and having a relationship. And it's not just one-sided this time like it had been for so long. Now Israel too is going to seek the Lord as they return to him and he's going to become their passion. And this is the last thing that we see. They shall come in fear of the Lord and to his goodness in those last days. So it's a beautiful picture of God's love for us. Hosea's marriage, I don't know, it's still kind of hard to reconcile why God would have put this on Hosea. I understand he wanted to communicate something to Israel. It's still hard to think that God let Hosea go through all of this, but you know what? God was also teaching Hosea some things, all right? We can never forget that. God wasn't just going to use him as, as an example that's just arbitrary. I could have done with this with anybody. Hosea probably needed to learn some things. Maybe he needed to learn God's unconditional love for him. Maybe Hosea hated where Israel was and began to hate Israel, the people, which didn't reflect God's true feelings for the people. God's true feelings for the people were, was love. And maybe Hosea needed to learn a little love like Jonah needed to learn uh, as well. And so there you have chapter three. Next next week, uh, I'm going to probably start out with chapter 14 because it kind of sums everything up that we've talked about. And then we're just going to look at how Jesus uh, isn't exactly in these pages. So when people would have read this uh, in Hosea's time, they wouldn't wouldn't have thought, oh, this is Jesus and this is Jesus and this is Jesus. But we're going to show you how this Old Testament book points to Jesus. All right. So come back next week. It will be my last week in Hosea. And then the pastor will be back. Uh, We'll be excited to have him uh, back with us again. And it'll be better for me because I've been busy. Uh, So you guys have a wonderful Wednesday night. I don't know if you saw all those kids out there. But there's going to be a lot of kids for Awana this year. If you're not serving in Awana, you may want to think about it. I'm thinking upwards of 180 kids on a Wednesday night here. So uh, that's what we're hoping. Uh, So pray for that ministry and pray maybe if the Lord wants you to go serve there. Thank you guys. Have a great night.